Welcome to Linworth Road Church, helping people become fully alive, fully mature, and fully on mission. Visit linworthroadchurch.com to learn more. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Many, many faces out there that uh, I love and recognize. Really good to see you all this morning. So, uh, yes, as Rich was saying, I'm part of the pit crew. Um, But this morning I just wanted to start with a story. I really think that stories intersect with our... Uh, life. It's really the way that Jesus spoke to us on a number of occasions through a lot of his teachings. So I'll just start with a story from my life. Uh, When I was in college, I really enjoyed going on prayer walks. It was just a way for me to get away and seek the Lord and, you know, be active and doing something at the same time. It helped me focus. So I was on this prayer walk around campus and as I was walking down the street, I was, it was a very quiet street and there was hardly anybody around, but I noticed a guy from across the way just suddenly veer over towards me and go directly to me. And it was like he was just honed in on me, focused on me. And I was a little skeptical, you know, a little wary of this guy that was just, you know, walking directly over to me. And so he came over and just asked some simple question about where the local bus stop was, and I thought, okay, easy enough, and and I'll move right along. But I did notice that in the course of interacting with this guy, he was just a little bit socially awkward. And then, all of a sudden, he launched into the gospel. And I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe that's why he was, you know, a little bit awkward there. He was thinking about how to edge that in, and And at the same time, you know, I I was feeling a little conscious of the fact that I had gone out on this prayer walk to seek the Lord, and and I had this encounter with somebody, and I was ready to just plow right on and do my thing. And so I was sort of comparing myself to this guy, and that's not always a great thing, but certainly I was seeing how God can be doing different things things with, with different people and with different focuses um, and, and really work through a, just a small little interaction like that. Now, I told him I was a Christian and much to my chagrin, he said that he was new to town and didn't have a church. And here's there's this, you know, kind of socially awkward guy and nobody, nobody in town, no friends. And, and I thought, oh, great, you know, I'm going to be this guy's only new and best friend. And that was very selfish, but um, nonetheless, I invited him to church, and, and so he came to church, and, and, and you know, I learned from him in that interaction and over time that God uses people in, in unnatural ways with spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts that, that maybe don't line up with their natural abilities but it's that much more to God's glory when he uses those people in our lives. So let me start here with a prayer. God Almighty, I pray that you would come powerfully 
upon us with your Holy Spirit today. And open our minds and open my mouth to speak your word. I pray, God, that you would come through clearly, that we would be able to hear you, and that at the end of today, we would be changed, and changed for the better, to serve you with our whole hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as Rich said, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12. So if you go to your pew Bible, that's page 959. And before I start, I'll just lay out a little bit of context here. Uh, Last week, Nick was talking about 1 Corinthians 11 and some divisions that were going on in the church over the Lord's Supper. And really, we see here in 1 Corinthians 12 that, that there are some other problems in the church as well in this Corinthian church. Probably like there are some problems maybe in our church. But maybe we'll self-reflectively get to that. And, and really, as we, these Corinthians are sort of being called out on things that are going amiss, uh, we move towards what the real impetus should be for our spiritual gifts. And we'll deal with that next week. So we're moving from divisions to unity and ultimately to love. So stand with me now and hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You knew... You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit through the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, but to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? 
And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor get the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will still show you a more excellent way. Thanks be to God for his word. Please have a seat. So when you hear about spiritual gifts, do you become skeptical? Have you ever run across spiritual people in whom you discern evil? In Liberia, an ordained minister of 35 years received a very ominous and sad diagnosis of cancer. The hospital said that they could do nothing for him. So he went to a local spiritist and spent the rest of his days in that village. King Saul snuck away in the night and consulted a spiritist medium to conjure up the deceased Samuel. A one-time faith healer who started practicing Uh, this faith healing as just a boy, confessed that his mentor brought him on because of his charisma. And over time, he turned him to the dark side. He learned how to knock people over with the supposed power of the Spirit. And he learned how to pluck chicken livers from people's bodies, supposedly tumors. Simon the sorcerer amazed crowds, and he even offered to pay the apostles for the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostle Paul cast an evil spirit out of a slave girl. Verse 1 here in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul starts with saying, now concerning spiritual people. Well, you know, in the ESV there, the initial reading actually reads, now concerning spiritual gifts. But the alternate reading there is spiritual people. When you look at the original Greek word there, the, the word spiritual gifts is just an um, interpretive paraphrase to introduce the passage. 
In the Greek, it really only reads spiritual, and if combined with brothers, you could say spiritual brothers, or more inclusively, spiritual people. And isn't this the way that we experience spiritual gifts? You never came across a spiritual gift just sitting under the Christmas tree waiting for you. No, spiritual gifts are experienced in people. So what Paul is saying is, here is how you discern the difference between spiritual people. See, he's not saying this is a list of good spiritual gifts and and this is a list of bad spiritual gifts. No, he's saying simply that you need to know that there are spiritual people and you need to know the and be able to discern the difference between them. Non-believers may be led astray, but we can do better. We can discern the difference. See, every spiritual person who is from God confesses Jesus as their Lord with their mouth and with their life. The Spirit empowers us to make that good confession that Jesus is Lord of our lives. Galatians says you will know them by the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit, whatever variety of spiritual gift one might have. Our spiritual gifts are ultimately directed towards giving God the glory. In fact, Paul says in chapter 14 that he would rather not exercise a spiritual gift if it brings him glory. He would rather exercise the spiritual gifts that build the church up and give God glory. So looking now at verses 4 to 7, we see that there are a variety of spiritual gifts. And, And what could be better? A creative God bringing a variety of creative spiritual gifts to build up the church. As a creative God, he doesn't create a cookie-cutter Christian. In following Christ, we become freed to exercise our God-given potential through spiritual gifts. That's right. Verse 7 really says it all there. He says, "...to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit." To each one, no believer, without exception, does not have a spiritual gift. Every believer has a spiritual gift. That same spirit that was a deposit guaranteeing your salvation, that same spirit empowers you to make a difference for Christ. That same spirit that enabled spiritually powerful men and women before you that same spirit dwells within you. Long ago, there was a Christian who was trying to follow God, and and his whole life was sort of, for three decades, characterized by stops and starts. This hodgepodge of efforts started when he was a simple pawnbroker, and he wanted to go witness to Christ on street corners, by simple street preaching. Over time, he decided, well, he would become a pastor. And so he became a pastor, but found that it really didn't fulfill that that calling that he thought that God was placing on his life. 
So he, he wanted to go be a revival preacher, but his denomination wouldn't allow that. In consultation with his wife, uh, eventually he decided that he would go and preach to the poor and destitute. The work could be discouraging, and there were times when he would come home with bumps and bruises and, and even bloody bandages. His, his preaching was interrupted by fireworks. And all in all, it was a very difficult course that he was on. But William Booth's Christian mission became the Salvation Army. Under the influence of the Spirit, you will make a difference. Just stick to it. Just keep following God and using that gift that he has put into you. So what are these gifts? If we look on at verses 11 or 8 through 11, we see here uh, that there's a sampling of these gifts. I say a sample because if we compare this gift list to, say, Ephesians 4 or uh, Romans 12, we'll see that there's not exactly the same list of spiritual gifts here. There's crossover gifts for sure, but I think what we're looking at is a summarized list. I do want us to recognize, though, right off the bat, that these are not natural abilities. Natural talents are inherited from parents or are developed within ourselves. But spiritual gifts are given from God. It should be pretty clear with some of these gifts, like the gifts of healing and miracles, However, sometimes we can say, well, so-and-so has a natural predilection towards uh, speaking, and, and we think he might be a great pastor or, or a great teacher, and, or that person over there has a really, really outgoing personality, and wouldn't they be great in evangelism? We mistakenly think that these are automatically rolled into their spiritual gifts. Not so. The best orator can be an inauthentic teacher of God's word. And the most outgoing person can really struggle with sharing their faith. Pay attention to verse 11. Here we see that it's God who apportions each one to each one individually as he sees fit, as he wills. The glory of God's spiritual gifts is sometimes better revealed all the more and those who were otherwise untalented. Think of Moses and his sort of fear of public speaking. Uh, The prophets, they did not use special techniques. No, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit and carried on to speak prophetic words. The prophet Daniel really says it best. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. For it is God who alone has all the wisdom and power, who reveals deep mysteries, deep and mysterious things that no one knows, that lies hidden in darkness, though he himself is surrounded by light. Now, if we look on to verses 12 to 16, we'll see here that uh, as we move on, verse 11 
has something specific to say to those verses that precedes it. We recognize here in verse 11 that there is an importance in the word individuality. And, and you might wonder, well, why is this? The idea of individuality carries on into the next concept of individual spiritual roles comprising the whole. But the idea of individuality is actually quite unique. And it's unique language in the Bible because most times when you see the message in the Bible, it's being referred to the whole church or to a group of people. When you look at the word you, for example, in the Bible, most times that word you is a plural Greek verb that's referring to you all, not just to you, an individual. But what Paul is saying here is that these spiritual gifts are given individually. With spiritual gifts, we really do see that not everyone is being called to the same gift or the same service or the same activity. Don't be mistaken, the fruits of the Spirit are the same. You can't get off individually parsing some of the Bible and saying, well, you know, I'm really not called to love. Or uh, that, that verse that's calling me to share my faith, you know, it's really not addressing me because I'm really not all that good at evangelizing. Even if you're not all that gifted of an evangelist, you're still called to that. But really what Paul's saying here is that we need to take a moment to pause and dwell on the uniqueness of the individual gifts here. Because we need to appreciate individuality in others before we can really grasp the concept of unity in the church. The problem is with most churches, we're really uncomfortable with being ourselves while at the same time allowing someone else to be themselves and being unified all at the same time. You sort of see this when you see churches segregate along certain spiritual gifts or areas of interest. People who speak in tongues sort of all lump together. More knowledge-based groups come around great didactic teachers. Uh, Or people dedicated to missions and service come together and, and they go off and do that just together. Or evangelistic churches gather together people that are great in evangelism and then they go out and evangelize. And we have very little mixing. Monoculturism or cultural isolationism is really a human tendency. Sometimes it runs rampant in the church, unfortunately, to where purely human discrimination divides the big church along age or race lines. And then the church really begins to lack the strength of diversity. Now, sometimes people will say, well, this or that just fits our mission better. But I question that. When our mission becomes bigger than God's mission, we have a problem. And certainly, when we shape our Christian communities around sameness, we miss out on including Christians with unique gifts that God intended for his mission. Paul's illustration here perfectly captures how important it is for the body to work together. You can't say, well, 
I'm an evangelist, so I'm just going to go do evangelism with my evangelistically gifted people. No, you, you need pastors that are going to be able to come alongside those people and go through life with them. You need people that are gifted in healing to heal the brokenness in their lives. And you need people who are gifted in service to come along and serve those new Christians and the church. Really, it takes all of these people together to have a successful and and fully vibrant church. I used to think that I could sort of do it all, that I could be some sort of spiritual renaissance man. And to some extent, there's truth in that. When we look at the scripture, we do see that Jesus says we are to attain to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. And Christ was totally and completely gifted. And he did really depend on God to fulfill that that full gifting in him. But, you know, if we look at Ephesians 4, it says that Christ gave us, and it lists them, a variety of spiritually gifted saints to help build us up. Why? So that we can reach unity and maturity. It really does take a village to produce a mature Christian. You know, I love football because it's such a team sport. And in football, you have a lot of different people, a lot of different teammates that come together and contribute their individual talents into specific roles on the field to be a successful team. And really, the most successful teams are always the ones that have really good players across the board. And, and there's, there's something about that that you can see easily manifested in the past like two championships that we saw. The, the NFL uh, Super Bowl... You saw Denver, they won because they had a great team and it went all the way down to a great defensive line. Or Alabama. I know as Ohio State fans, you probably don't want to hear about Alabama, but Alabama won because they had a great defensive line. And God has composed the body in that same way, giving greater honor to the parts that otherwise lacked it, to the parts of the body that are otherwise less flashy and get less attention, those parts of the body are absolutely critical. Now, once a year, the NFL plays an all-star game. And at this all-star game, the best players come together and play together on this team for just one, one game. And the thing about it is, though, these players really don't give it their all. If you've ever watched a game, they sort of play gingerly. And that's because although they may wear a uniform that says, AFC or NFC. Their helmet has their real team on it. And I think sometimes that can be the case for us in the church. We may put on this jersey that says Christ, but we're wearing a helmet that says ethnic culture. After we finish this little thing at church, you know, we're going to go back and we play with our own squad. We're not really going to run that hard with, with this team. So I ask you, are you contributing your best effort to Christ's body? 
Uh, Or does some other team get your best effort? I think we need to flip that. And it's the gospel that enables us to do that. It is in appreciation for the salvation that we've received in Christ and the love for Christ that can propel us towards effective ministry in the church. See, when you really love the team that you're on and you really love who you're playing for, you play with all that you have. We all need to play our hardest and we need to encourage our teammates to play their hardest. I came across a TED Talk recently about uh, what good leaders do within their organizations. And I thought, well, God probably knows something about good leadership, so I should pay attention to what these researchers have found. And it was really interesting. They found that organizations that are really successful create safe environments. Safe environments help foster this place where all of our talents and and abilities are optimized. Because if conditions are wrong, uh, we spend our time and energy protecting ourselves against others inside the organization. And that inherently weakens the organization. But when we feel safe, we will naturally combine our talents and strengths and work tirelessly to face the challenges outside the organization. So how can you contribute to making this church a safe place? A safe place where everybody can contribute their talents and gifts for the mission that we're on for Christ. I really like this story of Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah uh, was trying to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And when the Israelites came together to build this wall, they found it was a really tough task. And they got discouraged. And finally, they gave up. So what Nehemiah did is he reorganized. And he put the people into teams. Half would stand guard with their spears and swords and protect everybody, while the other half would work. And then they'd alternate positions. And then he further divided these groups into families and, and uh, neighbors so that they could encourage and support each other in the work. There's going to be times when we all get discouraged. Knowing that we have others who care for us and who love to have us on their team helps us get through those discouraging times. Just because you get dejected or even depressed about where you are doesn't make you less a part of the body of Christ. You're needed here, too. And when we come out of those down times, we can celebrate that much more because we know that there were those who were there with us at the hardest of times. You know, as we look here at the end of the passage in 27 to 30, uh, we see that Paul introduces this idea of ranking the gifts. I think it's clear that we're not to diminish each other's contributions or be prideful about ours because we, as the body of Christ, are interdependent. So what of this ranking at the end of the chapter? It does seem that God has ordained certain spiritual gifts 
to lead the church and to keep us online with God's mission. Now, the ego within us may say, uh, see, I can compare myself. I can be greater. It says so right here. I can be the first. Man, I thought I was going to have to go home and totally reassess my views on Christianity, my goals in the church. Never mind, top of the ticket, coming through. Well, if that's your ego, please, brother, listen to this. Leaders are intended to be servants of the church. The top of the spiritual ticket should always be the most humble, looking to serve and not be served. Only human pride looks to trump those around us. Jesus looks to serve. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And remember how Paul described the apostles who were first? He said in 1 Corinthians 4, we just studied it a little bit earlier last year, I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, like angels, or to the world, to angels and men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are held in disrepute. To, pres- to the present hour, to hunger and th- we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. Now, how about that for being the first? Not all are apostles, nor prophets, nor teachers, nor miracle workers, because the church needs diversity in playing Everybody playing their own part. But do desire the higher gifts. Do pray earnestly that God would give you the spiritual gifts that, so that you could make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God. And see, that's really where our hearts should be. Our hearts should be saying, God, what role would you have for me And what role is missing that I could play here in this church? How can I serve you, God? It's not about the most flashy gifts, but about where God needs you. In 1 Corinthians 14, we'll see that the church thought that speaking in tongues was pretty hot stuff. But Paul corrects them and says really that prophecy is more valuable for the church because it speaks an intelligible word to them an intelligible word that can lead to repentance. See, sometimes a spiritual gift uh, can get a lot of attention, and everybody wants to pile on board. And I think that that should be an indication to us about it becoming about us, about me, and not about what the church needs. Take hospitality, for example. In America... A lot of people like to talk about hospitality and love entertaining in their homes. But it's really about creating a social circle 
that is focused on their own home and their own life. Sort of self-aggrandizing here. But true hospitality invites someone without a place to stay with you. True hospitality invites the social outcast to your feast. True hospitality invites someone who is alone for the holidays to your table. Spiritual gifts support the common good. Ultimately, the expansion of the kingdom coincides with manifestations of the Spirit. Historically, this has always been the case. If you look at Acts, you again and again see the Holy Spirit coming out in the community through various manifestations of the Spirit to move the gospel forward. And this is the same thing today. We see in Asia and South, or, yeah, South, uh, Southern America um, that uh, in both those places where the gospel is running forward, the Holy Spirit is there manifest in signs and wonders, pushing that kingdom forward. If we make this personal, we need to ask this question. Have you neglected the spiritual gift that is in you? And if so, what would it look like for you to seek out that gift? Gifts are not permanent possessions. Your gift isn't always going to shine brightly. It needs used. Paul warns in 1 Thessalonians 5 that your spiritual gift can be quenched and neglected. He also tells Timothy on two occasions, do not neglect the gift within you and rekindle the gift within you. What do you do when you earnestly desire something? Do that. Do that and pursue the great giver so that he would activate the gift within you. In the band of brothers at the end of the movie, Major Withers is dealing with a group of warriors that have come to the end of the war And they're really no longer practicing their uh, warrior spirit. They're they're no longer out there in the fight. And he finds it's very hard to manage the unit in that situation. He finds that their skills are being neglected because they're no longer in the fight. I hope that you walk out into the world and you'll see that the world is full of spiritual people. We need to be empowered on our mission for Christ. And when we make the good confession that Jesus is the Lord of our life, he promises to give us unnatural spiritual powers. Not to use in isolation, but to use in interdependence on each other for the sake of the kingdom. Remember that awkward guy that I met on the street? Well, he ended up joining the church, and a couple months later, we were at a church barn dance. And he was there, and you put dancing together and an awkward guy together, and it was an interesting spectacle. But what I had learned from my first interaction and interactions with him over the time was to appreciate that spiritual gift that he had. And it so happened that randomly that night, there was a guy that I knew from another part of my life in the National Guard 
that showed up sort of out of the blue through some other connection he had. And that awkward but spiritually gifted evangelist helped me share the gospel with my friend from the National Guard. God was really working through it all. Together we are strengthened. No one is more valuable because we all play a unique role. So what will it take for you to contribute your best to this team? You have to love the team if you're going to give your best and play your hardest with it. Next time we'll learn a little bit more about that and talk about that more excellent way of love. But now let's pray. God Almighty, thank you for your love for us, that you have given us spiritual gifts to use for the good of your kingdom, for your glory. And in so doing, God, we find who you have made us to really be. I thank you, God, and we all thank you that our spiritual gifts do not depend on our natural talents, but that you give freely as you will. We pray, O Lord, we pray that you would come in power, that you would endow us with spiritual gifts to go out on mission together and work towards fulfilling the Great Commission. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening and joining our mission. For more content or to learn more about us, visit linworthroadchurch.com.